Hey now, and happy Halloween. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your 2023 WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week before we wrap up the show with an ultimate preview for WWE Crown Jewel, where we will break down every single match on the card with analysis about what happened on television this past week, predictions for the matches themselves, and a pre-show expectation grade for WWE Crown Jewel as a whole. All of that coming up on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But as we get into today's show, allow me to remind you off the top that this program is all about defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. But this week on Saturday, you will be able to vote and provide your pre-show and post-show grades for WWE Crown Jewel, and your grades will be utilized in our WWE Crown Jewel Instant Analysis Podcast coming, I would say, early Saturday evening here on the East Coast of the United States as soon as Crown Jewel goes off the air. Again, don't forget to follow us on Twitter for that, at Getting Overcast. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash Getting Over. We also have links in our Twitter bio, again, at Getting Overcast. But if you go there, you sign up, You get bonus audio for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite every week. The fastest five minutes in professional wrestling instant reactions to all of those shows as soon as they get off the air, as well as breaking news and news posts every single week as we get them. So again, please buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, become an official getting overhead, and get in on the party. Okay, with all of that now out of the way, Chris, thrilled to welcome you to the show. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going full bore on this edition of Getting Over the Main Event, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, the WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview, and The Last Word. We're going to do our best to fit it all into the show. As always, we kind of kick things off with an overview of SmackDown and Raw, and really we've been focused recently on the crowds. And I wanted to say that Milwaukee, uh, Friday night, paled in comparison to San Antonio last week for SmackDown. But They were solid throughout, and they did something Friday that American WWE crowds have not done in a while. Consistently starting unique one-off chants for wrestlers, things that happened on the show, just interesting chants that are not the standard, this is awesome, or holy shit, or whatever the case might be. They did that in multiple segments on Friday, and as a viewer, I thought it enhanced the show for me. The Raw crowd Monday night in Greenville, South Carolina, of all places, was way hotter than last Monday. 
But what really stood out to me Monday were some extra things they did. For example, one guy in the crowd wore a Rey Mysterio mask like for Halloween, and he had a sign that said Deadbeat Dad, which of course is incredible. Uh, It was the second best costume I think I saw this entire Halloween from a regular person to the kid dressed up as Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel. That's my favorite costume the whole Halloween season. There was also a guy who held up a yellow and black, so it was very visible, a sign that said, enough with the what chance, while the crowd was literally giving what chance to Gunther. And it was just perfect timing. Thank you. And they also responded this crowd extremely well to a couple newish tag teams on Raw and most of the moments that they were supposed to. So a really solid top to bottom week for WWE crowds. It's probably not something we need to continue addressing off the top of these shows, but I did want to give the flowers where they were due because these crowds, they may not have been the loudest that WWE's had the last couple months or this year or whatever the case, but they were both very unique. And I appreciated that as a viewer. It made the show extra interesting for me. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we're starting each episode now with a breakdown of the crowd. So, folks, <laughs> if you're going to the show, understand that you're going to be judged. You're going to be evaluated here. Yeah, um, for sure. Until the, in, in, un, not specific to individual crowds, but it really has become evident over the last year how much WWE has the crowd it wants. Like they know when to cheer, when to boo, when yes. to react. They're doing the things that they want. They're taking their cues properly. And and after all that, you know, Thunderdome nonsense where WWE kind of tried to create the crowd it wanted without real people, now it's created the crowds it wants with real people. Yep. And it just makes for a much more enjoyable experience on TV. Yeah, it's incredibly impressive. And not only that, you have to remember how long, and this is pre-pandemic, WWE was actively fighting with its crowds and and there were protest chants, the CM Punk chants, for example, right? Um, That happened for so long that to be able to book a show for Triple H to have the opportunity to book a show where you can pretty much count on 90% of the time the crowd doing what you want them to do. And a great example of that, we'll talk about it later, is the Miz segment from Raw on Monday night. The crowd did exactly Mm -hmm. what they were told to do by the creative. They were directed to do it uh, and they responded exactly as intended. When you can go in as a booker feeling that kind of confidence that everyone's going to cooperate with what you're doing, it has to give you immense confidence in the creative that you're putting forward and it has to give the superstars a lot of confidence as well. They're, they know that most of the time, the vast majority of the time, they can go out there and they don't have to have that thing in the back of the head of, are they going to buy this? You know, is, am I going to have to make a, a pivot? Am I going to have to do something out here? They pretty much know it's going to work. And that is what these crowds have been telling us. So we'll cut down on the crowd conversations going forward unless something really sticks out. But I did want to mention it this week just because I was actually entertained by them. And that's not always the case. A lot yeah. of times you get frustrated, you know, with what the crowd does. This was not the case across Raw and SmackDown this week. With that said, as I mentioned, we have tons to get to today. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, your WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview, and the last word to wrap up the show. We will have timestamps in the episode description. So if you happen to be listening to this podcast way closer to Crown Jewel, maybe a Friday or a Saturday, whatever the case might be, uh, go ahead and jump over to the timestamp. You can take a look in the description, find it, and move forward. But as always, I do hope you listen to the entire show. I will also note, because I kind of forget to mention this, uh, Friday night, after SmackDown, okay, that will technically be the go-home show 
for Crown Jewel as it is the go-home show for every WWE Premium Live event. What I do, and this is special for all of our followers on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, that instant reaction audio that you only get for being an official Getting Overhead over at buymeacoffee.com slash Getting Over, we will publish that for free Friday night as a very special go-home appetizer, let's call it, uh, for the premium live event on the ensuing Saturday or sometimes Sunday. So that's just a little bit bonus. Uh, We don't have the opportunity, of course, to do a whole go-home podcast, and we will integrate a lot of what happens on SmackDown with our WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis Saturday in the early evening. So I just wanted everyone to know that. I don't think I've actually mentioned it on the show before. A little bit more enticing reason to follow us on Twitter and potentially to become an official getting overhead. You're gonna get basically a free preview of what you get as a official subscriber. So with all of that out of the way, it is time to get into the meat of this show. And we always kick it off by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. Now this is gonna be a different kind of main event segment, but enough happened over the course of Raw that it's easier to discuss it separately than within the confines of the Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. Long story short, and I know Chris agrees with this because he texted me at Monday night, Raw for a long time, almost the first two hours, didn't feel like a true go-home show because a large portion of the roster was overseas. WWE scheduled a tour, I believe, of Germany and England leading into Crown Jewel. And while a few talent flew back for Raw, most of them stayed. So while a lot happened on Raw and much of it was entertaining, it did not truly feel like it was building Crown Jewel until the final hour of the show when we got three or four promos that I thought were simply outstanding, all of which legitimately enhanced the build for the big show. So even though Raw started maybe a little bit weak in terms of go-home build, by the time it wrapped up, I particularly, Chris, was juiced for Crown Jewel. Yeah, it was weird. We're like two-thirds of the way through the show, and I'm like, is Crown Jewel this weekend? <laughs> like, I right. legitimately forgot, because I'd forgotten about the, the overseas European tour, which I guess makes sense if you think about the travel you know, from there to Saudi Arabia. It makes sense, but it did make for a strange go-home after, you know, we thought the fast lane go-home was the best of the Triple H era. But then when I look up the card, I'm I'm fired up for the show. I, yeah. I am. I mean, we continue to hate that they do these shows in Saudi Arabia and everything that's been going on with that. We call it blood money in the sand for a reason. Absolutely. Um, but as far as the card, it's as far as the card itself, you've got two singles world championship matches and a lot of belts on the line and in big time matches. None of it really played into raw except for one segment like nothing on raw got me excited for the show but i do think the show is is pretty stacked oh i think specific the promos that i'm mentioning there were four on the show in totality three in particular that on their own got me excited for crown jewel they did the go home sales job that was not perhaps otherwise accomplished based on wrestling or in-ring segments or or things like that i will also mention just off the top because there was big news that came out uh coming out of this WWE trip to Germany, and that is that they announced Bash in Berlin, a premium live event on August 31st, 2024. I don't know, Chris, whether that's week one of the college football season next year. It sure sounds like it. Uh, So, Yeah, it sure sounds like it. So another uh, bit of hell for you and I, Uh, but that's going to be a huge show. Uh, And by the way, for anyone, I'll just mention it one more time, who does happen to subscribe, uh, to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over is an official getting overhead. We mentioned Germany. 
as a premium live event destination for WWE literally in May. So this was a long time coming. We knew about it. We told you about it. Uh, that's the type of info you can get by becoming an official getting overhead. Okay, with all that out of the way, let's get into the main event itself. Lots to talk about from Raw. Sami Zayn interrupted the opening segment of Raw, which was another Judgment Day promo led by Rhea Ripley. He said he's sick of hearing Rhea and Judgment Day talk about their faction running Raw. He then got crazy passionate, saying he's been fighting against people who seek power his entire life, and his name might as well be Rebellion or Resistance because he'll fight against that until his last breath. Ripley responded by setting a match with Damian Priest for the main event of Raw. So New Day interrupted Judgment Day in their backstage area. They were dressed like them for Halloween as New Judgment Day. The guys literally stood under a light with New Day saying the light was on, so they thought they had candy. I thought that was hysterical. The heels played it off a bit. Xavier Woods then made a pass at Ripley, and Priest and Finn Balor pointed out that everything might have gone better earlier if all of them were ringside for that opening segment. Priest was also angry, that he's so busy in two divisions right now, they're not supposed to have a leader, yet Ripley is out here making matches for him that he hasn't approved. Ripley reassured him she only made the match because he is the punishment part of the faction. Balor kind of agreed, and Priest half bought it before they all got pumped up, McDonough included JD McDonough, for the rest of the show. Even later, Jay Uso was fired up by Sammy's promo and promised to have his back. Then Jay was interviewed saying he would handle Balor soon, and he wasn't past getting those tag team titles back with Cody Rhodes. Lots of different parts here. New Day had me going for sure in their segment. As far as Sammy's promo, it sure as shit did not sound like he was only talking about wrestling there. It was definitely like a pseudo political promo that happened to align with the moment. But his passion shined through as always. And it seemed crystal clear to me that it was almost like the opening salvo for a war games or a survivor series build. Like I'm going to be the resistance. I'm going to be, I don't think he said retribution. What was the other word? Rebellion. Uh, I'm going to be the resistance. I'm going to be the rebellion. And that's probably like the team name that they'll come up with for whichever amount of baby faces go up against judgment day, which now has four male members and they could possibly do a mixed match with Rhea Ripley involved or perhaps not. But the topper to all of this was priest calling out Ripley for stepping into the leader role and making decisions as we, the audience, have clearly seen for weeks now. This hit all the right notes. And even though, look, Judgment Day opening the show and then one of Sami Zayn or Cody Rhodes or Seth Rollins or whoever else coming out, it's massively repetitive in that regard. This did somehow feel a little bit fresh to me just because of how passionate Sammy was about it. Yeah, I was, I was largely bored by this opening because it was repetitive and because I simply don't believe Sami Zayn has this blood feud with the Judgment Day you know like it's just it, it aside from stuff going on in the real world and how much that played a role separate from that but like I was just like I'm just sick of Sami Zayn and the Judgment Day together yeah. so he's all getting fired up about it. I'm like man we just need to get to Survivor Series and end this thing because I'm just I'm, I'm bored of it I thought the New Day stuff was funny I thought uh, the, the Damian Priest Rhea stuff was really good and continued a theme throughout the show of, hey, who's exactly the leader here? Um, but I was surprised we didn't get uh, Cody Rhodes right. uh, since he's the one fighting Damian Priest at Crown Jewel. That That's where you kind of miss the go-home part of it. We, we get it later. We'll get into it. But I was surprised we didn't have Cody to open up the show as well. So mixed bag. 
I'm just largely kind of tired of Sami Zayn yeah, and the Judgment Day being together. It just feels like it's culminating at the end of this month. And if it's if you're if you're going to tell me, hey, Silver King, three more weeks of this, and then it's over, like okay, I can take that, right? Because a War Games match or a Survivor Series match, that is the appropriate way to end a, a multi-person feud like this. But it does have to come to a conclusion. It's been way too long, and it's getting frustrating. It definitely is. Um, and you mentioned Cody Rose. I will I will say one thing here. Raw last week, if you look at the quarter hour ratings, and we don't really get into ratings discussions here on the show, but there was a significant drop off before hour three. I think it was largely because of the Monday night football game and maybe the World Series was actually going on at the same time. I, I don't remember or not, yeah, not, not the World Series, was. a uh, MLB playoff game, one of the championship series, one of them. No, it was it was it was a World Series last week. Oh, last week. Yeah, Sorry, last I week. I said last night. You know, no, no, no. Last week it was Monday Night Football, and I think also one of the important games of one of those championship series were going on. Uh, so the third hour dropped off significantly. I think by the way they built Raw Monday night and, and Cody Rhodes not appearing, and we're, you know, we're going to talk about it right now until the end of the show, is partially indicative of that. I think they overloaded the third hour with their big names. You'll notice you had... Uh, Drew McIntyre and Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, all of that was at the end of the show. And we actually, this was actually the bad part about it. WWE didn't really promote during hour one or hour two that we would be seeing these people. The show just kind of went on yep. and you're like, where's Seth Rollins? Like, yep. where's Cody Rhodes? This is weird. Yep. And I assumed they were still overseas and we weren't going to see them at all, which I would have been okay with because of the circumstances. But they were on the show. And if they're going to be on the show, you got to tell us, hey, Seth Rollins is here tonight. Cody Rhodes is here tonight. Like, otherwise, the surprise at the end, I'm not sticking around. How am I going to know to stick around hoping to see Cody Rhodes if I'm not told he's there? You're still losing me as an audience yeah, member if, exactly. if I'm someone who's slipping over. Sorry, go ahead. No, completely agree. I, I was kept one. I, I didn't know. I was like, who is overseas in Europe? Who's not? Why isn't Cody here? Why isn't Seth here? I have, well, I'll get into Seth later, but um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't tell us those people were coming later. Like I, those are the stars of the show. I, I get that the Cody moment was meant to be a surprise and that's fine. But like at some point early in the show, Cody's backstage in the training room getting evaluated, right? With his ankle or Seth Rollins, you see him walking in from, from an SUV. Like tell us the people are there. And then when we realize, oh wait, we haven't seen them. I'm not going to flip over to Monday Night Football because it's crazy. I haven't seen Seth. I wonder what he's going to do. Then I'm sticking around. If not, I'm assuming they're not there and I might just change the channel. Not me, but other people. I watch both at the same time. Just saying. All right, let's move on to what was the main event of Raw. Uh, Zayn against Priest. Judgment Day came out really early into the match. Priest hit the reckoning, basically his crossroads that he stopped using when Cody debuted. He hit that on Zayn. Uh, Jay ran out to even the sides and got in the ring. He super kicked Priest for a straight up disqualification. Like it wasn't even, the referee wasn't knocked down or outside the ring. The ref's right there. He just super kicked him. That's it. Uh, he went on to help Sammy up. The others attacked three on two. Fans chanted for Cody, who obliged limping down the ramp. The faces pretty much destroyed the heels. McDonough saved Priest from a crossroads on the announce table, only to eat a halluva kick against the barricade. Then Sammy fed JD to Cody for crossroads onto the table, which somehow didn't break apart. Rhodes grabbed the mic, but fans chanted one more time, so he dropped it, and he did a second crossroads, and the table still didn't break. He finally told Priest that he failed trying to take him out last week. He also asked how Priest has the briefcase and is in a whisper of the WWE title, yet isn't the leader of Judgment Day. Not only that, 
He walks behind everyone in Judgment Day, including even Dominic Mysterio. Cody said he's back on his path and it goes straight through him, meaning Priest, to the WWE Championship. It was a really hot close to Raw, as you would expect from a promo like this. The match was actually meaningless. The post-match was the real main event of the show. Like, that's just what happened here. The way Cody came out and upped the ante just by appearing, and that's before the attack and the fire promo. That was crazy. If WWE was still in the era of like true pay-per-views where you're going and spending $50 for a show, I would say that Cody's promo resulted in a shitload of people going and buying that show. It felt like a go-home promo for a world title match, not a random singles match for blood money in the sand. And that's largely because Cody actually quoted Dusty Rhodes heavily to make his point. I'm going to play you that clip right now. Iron Anderson has never been nothing but a walk behind her. And when you walk behind and you're not a leader, then the view never changes, baby. The view never changes, baby. The view never changes. So that's part of a long promo uh, that Dusty cut to Dustin Rhodes, obviously talking about Arn Anderson. Cody also made a firm declaration that his title journey was restarting and he stirred the Judgment Day pot pretty much like no one's business here. He straight up ethered Priest in this promo. The Cody and Sammy promos, they were part of what might have been, Chris, the strongest promo-only edition of Raw in years. The four that we got from four key men's superstars on Monday night, like one was almost better than the other throughout the entire show. It was pretty crazy to me. Yes. And to, to the point about all the promos being good and to your point about the post-match, yeah, like the match, I was like, I don't really care about either these two fighting each other right now, but the post-match was good. And then like, I kept wondering like, are they stretching? Like Cody goes for a second crossroads on the table. Like he gets the mic, then he puts it down. I was like, oh, is that for, for the for after the broadcast. Mm -hmm. Then he comes in, cuts the promo, and is like, oh, good promo. So it's just like the timing, everything felt kind of weird, but it was really good from, from Cody um, and actually finally got me excited for their match. It's at the very last part of Raw uh, finally was a good go home for that. So it was a good entertaining finish, um, but kind of before just everything else leading up to it was just kind of meant to get us to that afterward. Yeah. And I think that's really the way to wrap this up because we're going to have a lot more to talk about when it comes to WWE Crown Jewel in the ultimate preview portion later in the show. So more, of course, on uh, Cody Rhodes and, of course, the Seth Rollins match and Drew McIntyre. Uh, JD McDonough is going to be on the show with Sami Zayn. That was a surprise. They announced that as a kickoff show match. All of that coming up later, along with uh, similar breakdowns for the big matches as they transpired on SmackDown. But we're not there yet. First, before we get to that, it is time for us to move into your favorite segment. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, now we're going to cover here basically everything else that happened on WWE TV this week that did not directly have to do with Crown Jewel. So let's go to the North American Championship match, the NXT North American Championship match. Dominic Mysterio defending against Ricochet on Raw. There was an early Ricochet run that had the crowd going wild with a Northern Lights suplex into a vertical suplex. 
Ripley and McDonough both distracted as Ricochet was on the top rope. So Dom caught him on the apron and rolled him into the ring with a high leverage pinning combination to retain the title. Ripley and McDonough actually hugged at ringside, which was a notable development. And Ricochet took out the guys after the bell hitting Dom with recoil before Rhea saved him from the 450. The booking made sense, a tad repetitive, but the match was hot and Ricochet got protected. My biggest problem with it is something that I did not mention. Ricochet saved Sammy from being attacked in the opening segment, but Sammy didn't stick around to have Ricks back here. They could have easily had Zayn ringside get run into the post or steel steps and do the exact same finish. It was definitely good. It was a hot start to Raw. The fans really enjoyed it. But again, it was just like another Judgment Day match with an interference finish. Yeah, I I was like, all right, Ricochet's back doing something here. I just didn't really have any other thoughts uh, about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Then just, it was a fun match. Interference at the end. Typical stuff. What's the grade? Uh, I was going to give it a bad. Coming, oh. coming off of the opening segment, which I didn't love, I did not feel great coming out of it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to lead off with the bad, actually. That's actually pretty surprising because the match was good and the crowd was hot, but let's teach their own. That's totally fair. Uh, Gunther was set to guest on Ms. TV, but he didn't come out when announced. Instead, Ludwig Kaiser said Gunther doesn't answer when called upon, and the Miz is the embodiment of everything they despise about WWE, meaning the sports entertainment more than the wrestling. Giovanni Vinci also spoke to Miz's hysterical astonishment. He called Miz Maurice's sidekick, which facts and Miz was proud of it. And yeah, rightly so. Uh, Kaiser got into Vinci for speaking and Gunther finally entered wearing all black. He looked great. Gunther said the Miz and everything he does is beneath him and he doesn't respect him. Miz said that invisible John Cena was more entertaining than Gunther, to which he replied that wrestling, not entertainment, is what matters in the business, which is why he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Miz pointed out that he brought relevance back to that very title and he promised to do it again. Gunther then directed Imperium to tear apart Miz's set as he taunted them. Miz took out the seconds only to get chopped off his feet by Gunther, who screamed that they're not in the same league. Miz attacked, but got his head booted off. The heels stood tall. Then as Miz left, he walked by DIY, which was making its entrance for a match with Imperium. Clear and purposeful face turn for Miz right here. It seems like the idea is to have him align with DIY in some way, like for feud purposes, before The Miz ultimately gets a title match. Probably a Survivor Series storyline for these six guys with none of them involved in the multi-man matches. I liked it. Miz as a babyface, it always comes across weird at first, but it did not take long for the crowd to get behind him. It was like one line from him. They start cheering and they cheered for him the rest of the segment. Again, that goes into the way WWE is kind of working the crowd, how much they're buying into everything that's happening. It also plays into Miz just being a straight up master of the stick. He's that good on the mic. And Miz, I want to also point out, has surprisingly put on a couple bangers and key moments recently in the ring, which gives me really high hopes for a potential match between them. The booking also makes a lot of sense given Miz's stature in terms of recent IC title history. That plus Miz keeping the continuity backstage that made this good. Yes, when I when I said earlier about WWE having the crowd it wants, this was the segment that came to mind mm-hmm. because they were able to basically kind of make Miz a face really easily and it, and it completely worked. Um, one thing notable here that I wrote down, Miz, remember we talked a couple weeks ago, Miz did not bring up to Drew McIntyre that he took the title from him. And Correct. I said, that was weird. Why didn't he mention that? 
in this uh, promo here, when Miz is talking about all his accomplishments, he says he beat Randy Orton for the for the championship. He says he beat John Cena in the main event at WrestleMania, two-time Grand Slam champ. Did not say again hmm. that he beat Drew McIntyre for the title. And I don't know if that's because of Miz being a face and they didn't want to bring that back up, or if it was because Drew McIntyre is about to fight for a world championship, they don't want to kind of bring him down or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but two times in a row now that they have not brought that up, which is interesting. Um, and second, the no socks look for Gunther mm -hmm. wearing a suit continues to look bad. I don't like it. It's a, it's, it's a look for thin men and he's a bigger guy. It just, it doesn't work for me, but I thought this was a great segment. Loved it. <laughs> I love when you just randomly point out like a small style thing. And, and I do it too. I'm usually positive about it, but <laughs> I don't like how he didn't wear socks in this segment. I'm going to give it a bat. I know you didn't give it a bat. I'm just saying it's just funny that you always do that. Um, but no, good segment and a really good way to establish Miz as a baby face and keep Gunther involved in something that matters, even if it's not against an opponent that we have a belief will take the title off of him, which you know, the can candidly, most opponents that he's fought, we don't believe are going to take the title off of him. And we do seem to know who it eventually is going to be. But there was more intercontinental title stuff to mention here. So later backstage, Miz demanded a match from Adam Pierce, who said he could only get a number one contendership shot. Uh, Bronson Reed stepped in with Miz correctly pointing out he just had an opportunity, but Pierce seemed kind of intimidated or something like that. Ricochet later complained to Pierce about Dominic, but he was convinced to go after the IC title and deal with Dom later. Valhalla then came up with Ivar saying they would wait in Pierce's office because they wanted to talk about the title too. So basically before the show ended, they announced a fatal four-way number one contendership next week. This is how it should always be around the IC title, really both mid-card titles, the US title as well. Everyone in the mid-card with a level of recent success should be wanting the belt. This harkened back to the old days of WWE where that was the case. I'd have preferred someone else in here other than Reed, given he just lost the title match, maybe Shinsuke Nakamura, who we'll talk about a little bit later. And I almost wish they did like a mini three-way tournament instead of one fatal four-way match, like two semifinals and the winner's face, and then the winner of that is the number one contender. But there's gonna be some meat bumping next week, and that on top of the fact that the match is interesting and The Miz is probably somehow gonna come out with a win, all of that for me is good. Yes, agree on all those points. Um, you know, it is interesting. Like, I'm trying to think. Bronson Reed gets right back into the IC title picture despite just losing. Uh -huh. Chad Gable lost to Gunther and was told he kind of had to go back in the line. You know, like, how does Gable not get into this well, as well? So, uh, uh, yeah. I can answer. I can. Well, they, you have to remember they had multiple matches. And he technically lost to that's him true. more than once. So that's the reason in KFIT. Well, he did. He did beat him in the beat the clock or whatever. He did. Too, he did. Or the, the count out. The count out. I'm sorry. So I don't know. Just again, a, a logic part there. But all that said, I agree. I think Miz gets the win next week. And I'm uh, intrigued. By for, it. Sure. for sure. Uh, we had DIY against Imperium. DIY was completely repackaged with new graphics, a new team entrance theme. It was way better than Johnny Gargano's remix, obviously, the Rebel Heart shit that they play, but obviously worse than Tommaso Ciampa's uh, banger, which is just one of the best themes in WWE right now. They also had matching gear with blue kind of representing Gargano and red for Ciampa. They got a highlight package early in the show, and commentary spent time telling their story 
during the match. Champa and Gargano countered the Imperium finisher before Vinci missed an Escalera moonsault, fell right on his face. DIY then combined for meat in the middle for the win in about nine minutes. There was a notably nice ovation after the bell, given it was their first match together in three years and the first time ever they teamed on the maiden roster audience. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for this. I thought it was really fun. Now, obviously, they've been together already. But Chris, when I talk about introducing a tag team, this had every single element I always mention. Solid finisher with a name, a team name, matching gear, and a coordinated moveset. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. Again, a bit easier since they were together before, but it's been three years and this was a full repackaging. It was one of a few moments on Raw that was simply, for me, perfectly done. Exactly what it needed to be. Couldn't really ask for more. And true proof that the tag team division, and this is this and something else, are on a massive upswing. I loved that they left some stuff on the table for future matchups between them as well, because it was only nine minutes. They didn't go all out, and yet it was still a B-plus match. This was good. The best part of all of that that you mentioned was the vignette package beforehand. Mm -hmm. They told us who they are and why people care and why you have a reason to get behind them. And they did this multiple times in this show with multiple people. There was very much a concerted effort of, hey, let's remind everybody Mm -hmm. who these people are because they had not been getting very much reaction the last few weeks because a lot of people don't know who they are. So it was a very strategic move. You throw in that, you throw in the entrance, the matching gear, the finisher, all of it. They feel like a tag team. They feel like they care about each other. And they gave us a reason to pay attention to them. This was executed perfectly. And your grade? Ugly. <laughs> no, it's a good course. I mean, we got to do it. It's it's the segment, man. I mean, I got I got to keep you to it. You're it's right. my job as host. Come on. I mean, I said it. I, I mean, I said it was perfect. So I, I think you can kind of. You can, but hey, the the name of the game is good, bad, or ugly. And let's not forget, this is my show, my show. So we got to get those grades in there: the good, the bad, and the ugly. This a unanimous good. Uh, Candice LeRae fought Zia Lee. We'll see if this one's unanimous. I'm very curious. Uh, throwing to a highlight package, Michael Cole accidentally called LeRae by the name Candice Michelle. And after the package, he had fun with his mistake, talking about getting older, his memory going, how getting older sucks. And Barrett, uh, Wade Barrett gave him some grief too, which I thought was very funny. It was definitely a screw up. Like it wasn't on purpose, obviously, but I just love the way they addressed it. Zaya got more of a promo package as well, where she got to speak in Chinese and she got her standard martial arts entrance that we saw back in the day. feels like two years ago now on SmackDown. Uh, Candice got most of the offense until Zaya caught her with a pump knee and an awesome spin kick. I mean, this thing looked like a perfect move out of like a street fighter was how good this looked. The referee checked on Candice. She didn't get up for a while. She eventually stumbled around selling the move as a knockout victory. And the referee eventually declared that after two minutes. They really sold it with trainers coming out and Candice gently getting out of the ring with Indy Hartwell. She got tended to by trainers later with Indy, DIY, and Caden Carter and Katana Chance all backstage making sure she, she was okay. I'm really mixed on this one, okay? So a two-minute match yeah. would automatically be a bad, right? That's my rule. Except this segment and the time they spent on this was not two minutes. They spent a lot of time 
promoting both women, showcasing Zaya, and the finish to this match was done with purposeful booking so that Candice didn't eat a pin while Zaya went over huge with a sequence that actually looked good. So that's my grade. I'm giving it a provisional good. There are exceptions to every rule. Zaya was ruthless here, way more than she would have come across had she just like rolled Candice up after three and a half minutes. But I'm going to have to see what they do with both of them going forward for sure. What happened next on Raw gives me high confidence that what they're doing with Zaya is positive, but I'm still very curious what they're going to do with Candice. My one note is that I wish the referee called the knockout faster because Candice, the way she was selling, was clearly out of it in kayfabe. Like she was on the canvas, not moving. Like she couldn't get up. Eventually she gets up, then she stumbles. The referee's still looking at her like, are you able to continue? Like, like just clearly this woman is concussed in kayfabe, call the match off. So I wish that happened 30 seconds earlier. But other than that, yeah, I'm at a provisional good. So I'm I'm very mixed as well. But but first off, it was it felt different. It felt new. So I, I was into it. Mm-hmm. The 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 Zia Lee entrance and all the stuff, good. Reintroduce us to her. The Candace LeRae package, awesome. Mm-hmm. Exact just like with DIY. Tell us who this person is and why we should care. Boom. I'm behind her. And then she immediately gets knocked out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was like, did we just did we just lose that that uh all that feeling we built up with Candace? Mm-hmm. Or are we now behind her to come back? Babyface sympathy, possibly. The, yeah. Right. The concussion part was strange because pro wrestling has the 10 count, you know? Mm-hmm. I would have just knocked her out and do a 10 count. That's another you know? thing you can do. I, I think sure. that I feel like it would have just made a lot more sense as opposed to like she's injured. And I feel like it would have made Zylee's win more impactful other than, oh, you just happened to kick her the, at the right spot and she's woozy and we got to call it off. I feel like you kind of miss that emphasis. We, we don't get that very often. We don't get the 10 count in the ring in a wrestling match, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. that would that would have been a very cool spot to do it and also hype up Zylee's kick as like one of the most dangerous moves in wrestling. So I thought that was a missed opportunity. Just a slight tweak could, could have made a big difference. Still think it was like like you, a provisional good. Overall, you can tell there's effort and everything being put behind this. So it was good. But man, I feel like it could have been even could have been even better. The point that you made is great. If they had done a 10 count, then the finish with the knockout kick would have been even more impactful and made Zaya look even better then the referee like stumbling around for two minutes trying to decide whether to call off the match. If she had called it off immediately or after like 30 seconds, that would have been better. If they did the 10 count, like you said, it would have been even better than that. Both were better than what they actually did, but the booking itself, the creative choice, that was seemingly positive. Again, it, it depends. Number one, what happens with Zaya, and we're gonna have a little bit of an answer right now, and also what happens with Candice. Did they possibly write her off? Is there an injury? Is there something going on? Did they not write her off and it's meant to draw her sympathy? If so, then how are they going to capitalize on that? Is it just going to be her and Indy in the tag team division? That matters when it comes to grading this, and we don't know those answers yet. But we do know a little bit more about Zaya because Becky Lynch backstage addressed losing the NXT Women's Championship. She strongly put over Lyra Valkyria before saying losing will never keep her down, and also that she defended her title more in 42 days then Rhea Ripley and Roman Reigns have defended their titles in all of 2023. And folks, let me tell you exactly what my response to that was. 
Thank you. Becky said she doesn't need the title. The title needs her. Zaya came up calling her scared of her because she delayed the NXT championship match and then obviously lost it. Lynch got right in her face and Lee said they would fight on her time. This was another outstanding promo by Becky. As usual, I loved the callouts of Rhea and Roman, plus her continued elevation of the entire women's division is fantastic. She did not say I lost the NXT title, now I want the women's world championship. It's not it's not what's happening. She's going from the NXT women's championship to Zia Lee, elevating another performer. It's an easy good. I, I'm at a point where I don't know that Becky can be in a segment that gets anything but a good. Yeah, I mean, this was certainly good. It, it kind of feels like Becky's in her John Cena US Open Challenge mm-hmm. uh, run of her career. Although, you know, she did lose the title there, but but um, yeah, good stuff. You know, in, in, in getting her away from the NXT title back into main roster type of, of matches where it's kind of clear. Yeah, they they they, they brought back Zaylee, made her look good, then had Becky Lynch confront her. Like, that's how you bring back someone and create a, a heel in the women's division like that. Like, it is sometimes, we always say, like, it is that easy sometimes if you want us to believe somebody when you put in the effort to do it. And there you go. Hey, this booking stuff isn't easy, you know? You know, sometimes it is, because that's a perfect example of it being easy. Uh, Santos Escobar and Carlito fought the Street Profits on SmackDown. Bobby Lashley entered first, debuting a new Profits theme and package. No more solo cups, all black and gold now. The theme change was needed. It sounded strong, but it was really tough to hear it over commentary in the crowd. And Chris, I learned my lesson, because... When, the first time Roman Reigns came out with his new theme, I was like, I don't like it. It doesn't sound good. And then once I heard it clean, I was like, holy shit, this is an incredible theme. So I'm not making any judgments on this until I fully hear it, but it did seem like it was a really good theme. Uh, Rey Mysterio was originally booked in this match, but he was pulled and replaced because Carlito wanted kayfabe revenge. Escobar hit a great flying knee. Carlito nailed the swinging neckbreaker. Logan Paul then attacked Rey from behind backstage which was for some reason aired on the Titantron to the entire arena. More on that attack later in the Ultimate Preview. Uh, Escobar told Carlito, go handle it. That left him vulnerable to the two-on-one. He didn't know there was a Dawkins blind tag and the Prophets hit revelation on him for the win. So this is gonna get a good across the board for me. My one problem, it remains Dawkins gear. And I know I talked about you having problems with someone's socks earlier. This is a little bit different because with the strange gold tank top that he has. It's really thin and just shows everything. And the black gloves that he wears. I'm not joking. Yeah. He legitimately looked like gold dust, just without the makeup and, yep. the, and the wig. This guy is fit now. He, he's cut himself up. He's trained. Get rid of this stuff. Like, especially the gloves. The, the tank top is weird, but the gloves are totally unnecessary. You have AJ Styles. That's his thing. I don't really like it on AJ either, but it's AJ's thing. Dawkins, I don't know what they're doing with his look, but it doesn't look good. And he has been able to show himself looking way better in different types of gear recently. This accomplished what it needed to. And the profits with Lashley, they came across strong without cheating to win. We've discussed before, this has been a very slow burn, agonizingly slow with them as a trio. They still don't have a name, but it does seem like they're starting to find their footing. Yeah, step in the right direction. I also could not tell on the theme. I've not heard the whole thing since. Um, Dawkins' gear was weird. I, I'm very on the edge of good versus bad just because we've 
done these stop and starts with them before. I'm going to give it a like good, but that's more on the potential maybe than what we got. What's annoying to me here is how LWO stays losing. And also that Wild and Del Toro have become irrelevant in this group at this point. The only I, I don't think they were I don't think they were relevant in this group at all since they came up. Really, it's been Ray and Santos all the time. I forgot what their names were until a couple of weeks ago and they had a match. It's it is weird how we never hear from them or see them. I think initially pre Ray Mysterio, they were relevant when they were establishing LWO with Zelina Vega. But you're right. As soon as Ray joined and especially now that Carlito is there as well, they are completely irrelevant. If you're having a tag team match against not the leader of a group, which Bobby Lashley is the leader, Wild and Del Toro should be the ones wrestling in that tag team match. This happens in AEW as well with Bullet Club Gold, right? They were doing tag team matches with Jay White and Juice Robinson, but you have a tag team. The guns are in that group. They're the ones that should be used. It was, they did this with, they did the opposite with DX back in the day, right? It was, uh, you know, Triple H or actually, I was going to say Shawn Michaels, but Triple H, uh, X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws. When there was a tag team match, Triple H and X-Pac were not the ones wrestling. The New Age Outlaws were the ones wrestling. And that's exactly what it should be here. Wild and Del Toro, they need more screen time. They need some type of promo time. We have to know that they're important. And by the way, if you're not going to have them wrestle, then they should at least be the ones rushing to raise aid backstage. Where were they? Why does Carlito have to leave the match and go backstage when it's a, I was going to say a five-person faction, it's a six-person faction now. And he can just run, uh, they can just run over to him and check on him. So, or Zelina can do it. Like, where were these people? So again, that's my frustration with all of this. Um, and it's more, it's really across the board. They got to figure out what this is and what they're going for here. They're doing this feud. They have Rey Mysterio feuding with Logan Paul separately. It seems like he's going to lose the title. We'll make a prediction on that later. And now they're just going to feud with a three-person group. What is it? I'm trying to count here. Four on three, maybe uh, the the... Hurt profits at a fourth guy, possibly. Cedric Alexander showed up on SmackDown, which was pretty cool. Like, I don't exactly know what they're doing, but it's it feels kind of convoluted and it's gone on way too long without having resolution to this point. That's why it's frustrating. But again, the segment in itself, I'm giving a light good. I'm with you on that. But in totality, they got to pick this up after Crown Jewel. Like, it's getting really monotonous at this point. Yep, I agree. Uh, Alpha Academy fought Creed Brothers on Raw. This was an open challenge made and accepted on social media. The Creeds from NXT, they came out with Ivy Nile and got a great highlight package before their main roster debut. The Creeds exchanged Chad Gable with a tag during an extended vertical suplex, so he was in the air the entire time. Alpha Academy hit double Fisherman suplexes. The Creeds came back with a standing shooting star press and a standing moonsault. Otis caught Brutus flying for a world's strongest slam. Julius broke the fall with a 450. Then Gable broke that pile, I guess, with a moonsault. So it's like a four-man stack. Ivy and Maxine Dupree got into it outside. Akira Tozawa got involved. He ate a German suplex from Nile. Julius got Otis on his shoulders with Brutus, hitting the Brutus bomb for the clean one, two, three in about 10 minutes. Both sides shook hands in respect and commentary put over the Creed's huge, which of course they needed to do, saying they couldn't wait to see whether they would wind up on Raw or SmackDown because both brands would be pining away for them. This was outstanding. Legitimately, one of the best main roster debuts in a long, long time. Obviously, the match was exceptional on its own. Four stars, A-minus, and some of you might even go higher than that. 
But having the Creeds go over in this manner after such an excellent match was such a pleasant surprise. This is exactly how you make a wrestler or a team. And the cherry on top of it is that Ivy was with them when you know for sure that the prior creative regime would have left her behind in NXT. I'm not sure how this could have been better. I mean it. This was good. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, it, it was really good. I, I only wish they kind of got more buildup instead of it just being a social media challenge and then they pop up on Raw. I think this might have been like the second match of the show or something like that. I just would have mm-hmm. loved even more build to hype them up a little bit because they are incredible. Uh, not only is it tag team, but the three of them. So um, that's my only complaint was that hype hyped this up more beforehand, but great match. Everything we expected. Really glad Ivy Nile is with them. She adds a really good dynamic. Like it's a great trio. Mm-hmm. Don't break that up. Um, and the other thing I would add is that uh, Alpha Academy has now lost three straight on Monday Night Raw going back out of the last like four or five weeks, including uh, two straight weeks. So they seem to kind of, as we said last week, maybe moving toward more of the comedy, getting de-emphasized in the tag team title picture a bit. So something to kind of monitor with them moving forward. But you you want you want a matchup that highlights how great the Creed brothers are this was the matchup to do it. Literally could not have picked a better set of opponents for them to make their debut. Regarding the tag team aspect of Alpha Academy, don't forget it was mentioned a week ago or two weeks ago that Gable was going to turn Akira Tozawa into a top-tier tag team wrestler. The idea being Tozawa and Otis start teaming. They do the comedy aspect. And Gable, I guess, I don't want to say, I don't know how he could be serious with them, but the more serious babyface. Uh, ideally going after Gunther and the Intercontinental Championship. So it seems like there's a plan. And I will also note uh, Ivy, when they made their entrance, you could like she actually grabbed her chest. Like that's how emotional it was for her coming out uh, and doing this with them. She's not related to them at all. They call her uh, their sister and they seem to have a legitimately strong off-screen relationship in addition to their on-screen relationship. So that trio, you're right, absolutely cannot be broken up should almost maybe never be broken up until one day, maybe the tag team splits. But she's the perfect like third person for them. Uh, if you don't watch NXT, she's like the voice of reason among them, which makes a lot of sense. And even the visual of these two really huge guys. And Ivy, even though she's built up and muscular and strong, she's kind of tiny and petite. So having the, the visual of all three of them together, it's just fun to see on television. Like I said, excellent debut. I I genuinely don't know how they could have done it better. What you mentioned, doing it a little later in the show, giving a second promo package or a second uh, vignette to kind of preview them. Sure, that could have helped, but I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. Uh, This was great. One of the best things on Raw Monday night. And it was a pretty damn good episode of Raw on Monday night. Go ahead. So wait, so they are real brothers? I didn't actually know that. Oh yeah, they're, oh yeah, absolutely. They're Jacob Casper and uh, Drew Casper, Jacob being Julius, Drew, being Brutus and Jacob was a legit top tier collegiate wrestler at Duke. Yeah. And and, and I've I said it before. I don't know if it's on this podcast or the NXT podcast back in the day, but Ivy Nile is, is kind of the way they should have booked Ronda Rousey mm-hmm. the way they had her in NXT. So th- there was a lot of potential with her as well. The, no doubt about it. I also, by the way, just since this is a main roster show and, and I don't know if people knew them before, I love their names. I'm very curious for them to do a backstage segment with uh, Xavier Woods, who's 
uh, name he used to use was Austin Creed, or he still uses it, I guess, for video games and stuff like that. Um, like him being able to look at a couple guys called the Creed Brothers and him him not get the chance to use Austin Creed. I just think that dynamic is going to be really funny whenever it happens. Um, what did you call them? What are their names? Creed Brothers? Like that can be very funny if they if they do it the right way. A better intonation than certainly I just used right there. Uh, Kevin Owens came across Austin Theory and Grayson Waller backstage, and it obviously got heated between them, with KO eventually saying he could knock both of them out together with one punch. That moved into this real over-the-top argument with Jamie Noble coming in, agreeing that Owens could do it, but saying, don't do it now, just let me take you away. KO left, and the camera panned back to the heels, and then Owens came back into the frame and knocked them both out with one punch. This was just a good, funny backstage segment. The best part might have been, after KO hit them, he ran away screaming, Jamie, Jamie, I did it, as the segment ended. It was like classic WWE classic KO. It is why he is such a good fit for this company. Yeah, it was really funny and a good follow-up to things. And Kevin Owens, I like, I always said, like, if I was to start a company, Kevin Owens is the guy I would start with because he can do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that was great stuff. If if we're grading this, I don't know, but I give it a good. Absolutely. Yeah, totally worth a grade. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura said he's still looking for his next victim. And if one doesn't step up, he will choose one for himself. Then he asked in English, what are you afraid of? Do it, show yourself. This was only about 45 seconds, but it's basically an automatic good for me, just based on the presentation. I was curious to see who answers him or who he chooses, but later we learned that Tazawa is gonna fight him next week. Not the most exciting, but if it's just like a temporary opponent, and then he gets into something else, then I'm sure that'll be interesting. This wasn't that dissimilar, Chris, if you remember, from Alistair Black, like waiting in a room for someone to come knock on his door. Except this time, unlike that time, I actually believe Creative has a plan for it. My hope is the Tazawa bit, like I said, just leads to something else, which I'm sure is the case. And so, yeah, I think I said automatic good. It is indeed good. Uh, are, are we including the Tazawa part in the grade? Are we grading no, this whole thing No, together? just the segment from from Raw. Okay, I'll give a good to, to, to Nakamura, because it was interesting. Um, Tazawa next week, I, whatever. You're going to wind up giving it a good. I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to wind up giving it a good next week because the match is going to bang. It it might. I mean, we'll see, I guess. I mean, the last time we saw Tazawa, he just got mostly destroyed. So we'll we'll have to see if this training is really paying off. But at the same time, does it hurt Nakamura if he can't beat this dude who's a clown? So it's kind of what they've put themselves into, and we will see. I think a five, six-minute match gets the job done. But, hey, we'll evaluate next week. Uh, Shotzi fought Chelsea Green on SmackDown. Shotzi backstage thanked Nick Aldis for getting her the NXT Halloween Havoc hosting gig, which, by the way, she did great last week. And of course, night two is tonight, uh, Tuesday night, as we tape the show. Then Chelsea and Piper Niven came in complaining like usual. They made fun of Shotzi, who obviously asked for the match that we're about to break down. Uh, Chelsea caught Shotzi trying a springboard for a Russian leg sweep off the ropes, which is pretty cool. Then she hit a front slam off the ropes and a missile dropkick but she tried to showboat during a cover and then took a crucifix pinfall in three minutes. I don't mind Chelsea losing as one half of the champions simply because of her gimmick. And I'm glad that Shotzi got a singles match on TV and got a win. But this ended just as it was starting to get moderately interesting. And on a show that didn't have women's wrestling, the fact that this couldn't get more than three minutes, I'm sorry, it's an automatic bad. Yep, I I was a bad too because of, of the timing and also like, you know, I, I 
I know Chelsea, Chelsea loses, Piper wins. That's kind of the bit, but like, I don't know. Shotzi just, just it doesn't do anything for me. It's mm-hmm. kind of her, her character and just everything. So um, I was kind of bored by this. And then, like you said, once it kind of got interesting, it ended. So bad. Natalia fought Chelsea Green in a trick or street fight on Raw. The tag team champions backstage were dressed up like the Hart Foundation with Piper being Jim the Anvil Neidhart. She had the beard on, uh, a ton of fake chest hair. It was so damn funny to see her like the Anvil. This was amazing. It it sent me. like It was one of the best things that they did all week, I think. It was the best thing of the weekend. It is the (laughs) best Halloween costume I've seen anywhere it was amazing. Yeah, it like really was. Every, they nailed every little detail of it. And there's a part later on when Piper Niven gets on top of the ropes to distract. Mm-hmm. And you know what she does? She puts, she goes underhand to kind of make her point. Right. Like she doesn't, she doesn't just wave. She got every little piece of that, nailed it. I, it looks, it looks like, I'm so excited. I'm banging <laughs> you moved my your mic. microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like Jim Neidhart. Like she, she it was did. amazing. I can't imagine what Natty must have felt seeing it um both like cool but also you know touching just yeah i can't say enough good things about that costume amazing that's one of those things it's like i bet you they asked and obviously we would have to ask them hey is it okay if we do this and she's like okay like i'm flattered that you would do it you know what i mean like that's kind of what it felt like uh just seeing it also natty was out there as like i don't even like a bdsm bunny or something wearing black leather and a mask this one i I just want to be clear this is a listener request from Eric M. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. I mean, he wanted us to play this for Natty on the show. So Eric, there you go. Uh, Chelsea drilled Natty with a pie. Then Natty dodged an attempted senton off the barricade with Chelsea going through a table. I want to pause really quick because I didn't realize this in the moment. Pie is not something for Halloween. Pie is something for Thanksgiving. You could maybe say Christmas or other holidays, 4th of July, apple pie, cherry pie, whatever. Pie is not a Halloween treat. So it's very weird that there was a pie involved in this. I just wanted to say that Uh, she got drowned in an apple bucket. Chelsea did, but Natty failed trying an impossible double sharpshooter on them, uh, getting murked backwards into the post. Green lifted up a pumpkin on a table only for Nikki Cross to appear under it. Still catatonic. Michael Cole had a really funny comment. He's like, I know that's a real person because I saw her nose move, which I don't even know how he did because the back of her head was to him. But regardless, uh, Chelsea accidentally put the pumpkin on her own head for a bit which was dumb. Natty got reversed into the steps. Then Chelsea dumped candy corn on the canvas, which hysterically got booze for candy corn. Natty powerbombed Chelsea into them, but basically released the pen attempt for no reason. Then she put Chelsea in a sharpshooter, but broke it because Piper distracted on the complete other side of the ring. Chelsea accidentally uh, pied Piper in the face. I had to make sure that was appropriate. Then Natty accidentally knocked Piper off the apron, trying to hit Chelsea. Green caught Natty with unpretty her for the win. I have absolutely no idea how to grade this. Like I'm dumbfounded, which is why I spent so much time breaking it down. The camp and ridiculousness was somewhat good. I loved the candy corn spot and the crowd reaction to it. Cole and Barrett were actually kind of hysterical on commentary. The wrestling itself was a mix of bad and ugly as there were really dumb spots in the match and also strange moments. I guess the most fair thing to do is split the difference, but I can totally understand why some people would love this and why some people would hate it. I just wish the wrestling quality 
was as high as the campiness factor. Maybe I'm just being silly grading this at all, and this is an entire ridiculous exercise. I'm gonna say good because I was entertained by one of the holiday matches, but it certainly wasn't one of the top moments of the night. I am giving this a complete good. <laughs> like this is the kind of holiday matches that are fun. Like lean into it when you're going to be goofy, like lean into the sports entertainment aspect of it. Like the candy corn spot, like to pull out the bag and drop them and commentary selling it like they did. It was, you can't not love that, you know, like, they just, it was really well done top to bottom. I mentioned the Piper Niven distraction part of it as well. Uh, this was, to me, this is one of the highlights of Raw. It was one of the most enjoyable things. Look, there's there's no serious women's tag team feud going on right now. So like you can, you can criticize that. But in terms of what this was on Raw, I loved it. Easy, good. All right. Dragon Lee fought Cedric Alexander. Dragon backstage talked about being happy to be on SmackDown when Cedric randomly showed up recalling his debut in WWE with NXT and how fans chanted for Triple H to sign him. Then he made a friendly challenge and Dragon accepted. Cedric was looking jacked here, man. And WWE actually gave him a short highlight package to refresh people. We talked about that happening consistently on Raw. It also happened here on SmackDown. This was fire right from the bell. Alexander hit a great scoop Mishinoku driver. Dragon hit the Tree of Woe double stomp and then reversed Cedric into a Liger Bomb false finish. Then he countered another scoop Michinoku driver and hit Destino for the win in eight minutes. For a throwaway TV match, this was excellent. Longtime listeners before the show existed know I am a massive proponent of Cedric as a singles wrestler, so it was awesome to see him not only actually get used on TV, but in a pretty high-caliber match like this, given the fact that Dragon's a debuting superstar. My hope now is he continues to get time maybe rejoins Lashley's crew as like a henchman or something like that. I just want him regularly on TV. Dragon looked great as well and was obviously the right winner because they needed him to rebound from last week's loss. Bit disappointed that the crowd wasn't more hyped for the finishing sequence, but there wasn't much emotion involved in the match. Anyway, regardless, it was good. There is nothing more that proves that Triple H is in complete control of creative than the fact that we got a Dragon Lee versus Cedric Alexander <laughs> match on SmackDown. <laughs> like I saw, I was like, I can't believe this is happening on the show with LA Knight and all these other things. Um, match was good. Crowd not that into it because they don't really know much about any of these guys and we haven't had a reason to believe in Cedric Alexander in a long time. Um, I'll give it a, a, a light good for the effort, um, but wasn't much other to it other than just it was a really fun wrestling match. It, it's the kind of thing that works perfect in AEW and feels very out of place in WWE. Um, but hey, those guys got to show out and that was enjoyable. But being able to do this match and have them get eight, nine minutes instead of like the four or five that they would get previously under the yeah. old creative. It's, it's night and day because Dragon got over. Yeah. Cedric got over. And you're like, I want to see more of these guys. It, that's it's exactly what I've always been talking about, what the old problems were and what the new solutions have been from Triple H. And I would be remiss if I mentioned Cedric Alexander and spoke about him in a praiseworthy manner and did not play one of my favorite and one of the most underrated WWE entrance themes of the last decade plus. In the dark, I feel at home. Time has passed and now I've grown. Used to dream I'd have it all. Now it's mine, I won't let go.
mean, I assume they had to get rid of this because of the CFOs thing and everything that's going on with that. But man, they got to bring that back for Cedric Alexander. That thing is a straight up banger. I love it so much. Yeah, no, that's good. It's yeah. really good. All right. With that all said and all out of the way, it is time officially to move into our WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. We now officially have eight matches on this show, including a kickoff match. We will, as we go through each of these individual matches, break down what happened across Raw and SmackDown this week. Of course, we will give you our pick and prediction for the match itself, and perhaps even a little bit of what will come after that. And at the very end, we will give you a pre-show expectation grade for WWE Crown Jewel. Let's kick this off with two matches that are fully Judgment Day involved, one on the kickoff show, one on the main card, both of which we already spoke about on this program. First, Sami Zayn against JD McDonough on the kickoff show. This is gonna be a really fun featured match for Sami getting to do it, of course, in Saudi Arabia. JD, the fact that he's on a premium live event at all at this early juncture is kind of fun. There was something I meant to mention earlier that I didn't get a chance to, but I tweeted it uh, out. If anyone has ever seen the TV show Sister, Sister from back in the 90s, uh, JD McDonough reminds me very much of Roger from that show based on his current placement in Judgment Day. So anyone who's seen that, who understands that reference, uh, I just thought it was hysterical. I laughed to myself recently when I came up with it. So I wanted to share it with everyone. Regardless, that's all the analysis I have because we've already discussed this. Uh, it doesn't really make sense for Sammy to lose, even if Judgment Day fully got involved. Sammy needs to get the win here. I have a feeling that even though he's not booked for the card, Jey Uso might be around. Maybe he gets involved in something during the show. Uh, but Sammy beats JD. It's a kickoff show match. The babyface should win. And it makes the most sense for storyline as well. Yeah, Sammy wins. Makes sense. I, I, this is the first kickoff match we've had since when? Like, a while, yeah. WrestleMania, like a WrestleMania, maybe? I, it's been a long time. I can't remember exactly, but uh, interesting to bring it back. And I'm curious if it's something they continue more in the future because their pre-shows now are... Yeah, vignettes and a couple of promos. Sometimes Paul Heyman pops in, but um, I'm never, I don't really ever really care for kickoff matches, but uh, curious to see if this will continue moving forward. Yeah, no question. The other one that we've already kind of previewed is Cody Rhodes against Damian Priest. What I find interesting is this would have been a good match to add a stipulation to, for example, Damian Priest money in the bank briefcase being on the line. That could have been a way for Cody to eventually get his next shot at the undisputed WWE Universal Championship without winning the Royal Rumble or without needing them to do like an Elimination Chamber match or something. It would have been a unique booking. Take the briefcase off of Priest. He's still the tag team champion. Uh, but clearly, by the fact that they didn't do that, the idea is for Priest to cash in and ultimately win the title, the World Heavyweight Championship most likely, at some point, even if Priest is going to cash in later at Crown Jewel. No matter what the case you're not having him beat Cody Rhodes here. Um, we've seen many times where the briefcase holder over an extended period loses matches, loses feuds, and then eventually cashes in, wins the title, and becomes heavyweight champion, and all those people that he lost to in the feuds become his challengers. It's, it, it's happened numerous times. So I have Cody Rhodes here winning. Again, I don't think it's much of a surprise. There could be Judgment Day distractions, but let's not forget, Rhea Ripley's busy, so she probably won't be out. J.D. McDonough is already going to be beaten down. So then you're talking about Dominic Mysterio and Finn Balor as the only people to help. And I just mentioned, I have a feeling Jey Uso is going to be over there. 
therefore he could get involved and get Cody's back. So Cody over Damian. Yeah, Cody's not losing this match. Um, Damian Priest, had, you know, we've seen him a million times. You lose, you lose with the briefcase. You get cash in later. Not to say that will or won't happen, but it'll make us think it could happen uh, by Cody winning. I just, you know, Cody hasn't been on the last couple of pay per views wrestling. I just, I see no reason. He, he's a guy like who's not going to lose very often, you know, unless it's really meant to make an impactful thing. And I don't think that happens here. So the pick is Cody. All right, let's get into some matches where we can provide a little bit of breakdown as well. United States Championship, Rey Mysterio against Logan Paul. Now, we already mentioned Logan attacking Rey backstage on SmackDown. After that attack, Logan was talking shit, saying his fist is bigger than Mysterio's head, and that's why there's weight classes in boxing. That is leading to an actual weigh-in for this match, which is going to be on the go-home SmackDown this coming Friday. But beyond that, there's not much to discuss regarding this match itself. There's going to be another topic we hit coming out of our prediction. But you and I have discussed this pretty much ad nauseum here on the podcast that Logan's ceiling is immensely high in WWE, whether you like him or not. It's so high that him becoming world heavyweight champion at some point, if he fully commits to WWE for an extended period, is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. But before you make someone a world champion, you pretty much got to make them a mid-card champion. And given the booking, given Paul's talent level, given the fact that he spent the post-match of this huge social media YouTube boxing pay-per-view that he just had putting over WWE, and he's been saying in one interview after another that he is a true WWE superstar, it's what he's meant to do, it's what he loves. There's every indication to me that there's going to be a title change here. So very simply, I have Logan Paul beating Rey Mysterio and becoming the new United States champion. And if you told me I would say that three years ago, I would call you freaking crazy. I would also tell you that WWE has gone off an entire cliff and I would probably stop watching it. And yet here we are in 2023 where I tell you not only is that my prediction for the match, I think it's the right booking. and I'm actually excited for it to happen. It's the same reason we thought, or I thought at least, that Logan Paul would win Money in the Bank um, because it's something that he seems to care about and will put a lot of attention on and will continue to highlight uh, if he's a champion. Um, so I, I'm right there with you. So we're both picking Logan Paul. I do believe he's favored in this match anyway, but still notable. I mean, it's Frey freaking Mysterio of all people. After this all happened it, with... Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, and it, it makes sense also, I guess, he wins the title, he carries it going into WrestleMania, you have a big match. Right. You know. And he's a huge heel at WrestleMania. You know, he's a big heel at WrestleMania. A huge baby face beats him. It's a big moment. And you get Logan Paul in WrestleMania. Like, it kills multiple birds with one stone uh, to put the title on him here. And also the hope, I should mention, just since you kind of brought up WrestleMania, the hope is that he's done with his other, like, outside combat sports ventures. Like, if you put the United States Championship on Logan Paul and you already have a champion on this brand who's somewhat absentee in Roman Reigns. There's rumors he may not even be at Survivor Series this year, which doesn't make sense. It's one of the big four shows, which are the ones he always does, plus the Blood Money in the Sand shows. But if you already have an absentee, you know, undisputed WWE Universal Champion, having an absentee United States Champion doesn't make a lot of sense unless that person's not going to be absentee. So my hope and my expectation is that he not only wins the title, but is on TV most weeks and 
definitely on every single premium live event from now until WrestleMania. That's almost a condition of this pick, I would say, it being necessary for that to happen. But let's also point out, there's not that many premium live events between now and WrestleMania. After Crown Jewel, it is Survivor Series, it is the Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, and WrestleMania. That's it. Those are all major shows. So really, anyone who is champion should be on those. There's not really a show for them to miss in that group. But anyway, after this all kind of transpired, the Logan and Mysterio stuff, he came across Kevin Owens, who was wearing a Mysterio shirt, and it got tense between them. Clearly, KO, it seems, is being set up as an opponent for Logan after he wins the title. The question is whether that's going to be soon, like through the end of the year, it's the feud they give KO until WrestleMania season begins, or if that's the WrestleMania match, which would obviously make a lot of sense. You want to talk about a babyface beating Logan Paul and getting over massively, Kevin Owens is the perfect person for that. But when we discussed this last week, Chris, we talked about putting LA Knight in that position because clearly we don't have him winning the main event of this show. I think we're going to learn a lot coming out of Survivor Series in terms of the direction that this goes. But if I had to ask you right now, which WrestleMania match do you think would be the right call? Would it be Logan Paul, LA Knight, or Logan Paul, Kevin Owens? for the United States Championship? Logan Paul, LA Knight. LA Knight is such a big star right now. You want to ride that into um, WrestleMania, your biggest show. I think Kevin Owens versus Logan Paul would be great. Uh, Obviously, and and the mic work would be good. I almost think Kevin Owens might be too good on the mic for for Logan Paul. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I, I think those are both great options between the two of them. I would want it to be LA Knight because he will have been going on basically a year since he got big and you want him to get a title at some point, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the spot to do it. So I would go LA Knight, but I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. I think Knight is the right answer because it would be the first title win on a major show against a star that extends beyond the WWE universe. I didn't mean to use that term. I just, I meant the universe in terms of like, Everyone who watches WWE, not the fans, like, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, so I think that's the bigger moment. But it also depends who the other opponent is going to be. Like, if it's LA Knight and Logan Paul, what is KO doing? If it's KO and Logan Paul, what is LA Knight doing? Until I know that factor, I can't necessarily tell you which one would be the right call. But if I was booking it from this point, then I think LA Knight would be the no-brainer for WrestleMania. Let's keep going. A lot more to talk about. John Cena against Solo Sokoa. Cena opened hour two of SmackDown after this match was announced earlier in the day. He was still having his existential crisis, saying this was the most critical match he's had in 20 years because he fears losing the support and the respect of the fans if he doesn't win. Fans chanted for him multiple times. He actually got emotional. Cena called Crown Jewel a must win and said the time is now for him to deliver as he made a rare promise of victory. Paul Heyman interrupted, saying he wasn't out there with hustle. He wasn't out there with loyalty only respect. Heyman thanked Cena for sold out arenas, saying he was his first round draft pick from OVW when Vince McMahon gave him the option decades ago. He said Cena isn't the greatest in the ring anymore, but he is the GOAT promo. And coming from him, Heyman, that means something, which it absolutely does. Heyman said Cena can heal from injuries, but Sokoa's Samoan spike will take away his ability to communicate, and then the bloodline will take him away from the fans. Heyman said the match isn't a must win, It's a can't win as Solo attacked from behind and hit spinning Solo plus the Samoan spike, leaving Cena completely laid out. Other than wishing that Sokoa actually said something for himself, 
given this is such a big singles match for him, it was pitch perfect. Cena's existential crisis is laid on a little bit thick, but Heyman pulled the entire segment together with an excellent promo. Most important was the stakes were raised in this match beyond simply here's two people who don't like each other fighting. It felt hollow before SmackDown, but more than solid coming out of it. You know, we just got Paul Heyman and John Cena one-on-one, almost one-on-one for a big promo segment, like in 2023. Mm -hmm. Like that is really cool. These are two of the greatest talkers of all time. And for all the, you know, complaining we did about over the top of John Cena's the greatest of all time, yada, yada, yada. You can make a case. He is the greatest talker of all time. That doesn't mean most catchphrases and stuff like that. But the dude, when he gets in the ring, he gets a crowd behind him and he tells the story. He's great on the fly, all that stuff. Like, like he really might be the greatest talker of, of all time. Heyman's line that he raised his kids to be more like Cena than himself <laughs> yeah. was an incredible line. Like that, that is like literally touching. Like I, whether it's true or not, it was a mm-hmm. remarkable line that really just kind of added to the moment. And I loved the story they told, which was Cena, you're a great talker, but if you get Samoan spiked in the throat, you may not be able to talk anymore. That could impact your, you know, acting career. And I, and you think about, remember, Rich Holland got Samoan spiked and he was like holding his throat for a couple of weeks. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can buy into that. So I love that story there. Like these are the stakes. This is the story going into Solo Sokoa John Cena. Is Solo going to get the Samoan spike on John Cena? And then they just did it on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, well, okay. Is, is, is Cena, all, is Cena going to come into this match now with the, sore throat. I I don't know. I just, I thought they did such a good job of building up a story for the match that then they gave it away before the match. What, so what I would have liked to have seen by that. to that point is he hits spinning solo. He picks him up for the spike and Heyman goes, no, not yet. You know what I mean? Like we're doing that in the match, yeah. not for now. That would have put this way over the top. It was very damn good the way it was done, but it could have been great if they yeah. added that one element at the end. That's a great point for you. Yeah, just imagine every time, three or four times a match, Solo's going to do it. Oh, is this going to be the one that gets mm-hmm. Cena? No, it doesn't. No. Like, there's just a natural tension there that they did a great job of building up. That's why I was so surprised they gave it away at the end of the segment. Yeah, no, you made a great point. Why don't you go ahead and give your uh, prediction first here? Pick is Cena, which would be his first win in, what, more than 2,000 days at this point. Just for a singles, uh, one-on-one victory, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do yeah. agree with that. I said this last week, I think when we were previewing it, I know that Cena's done a lot of jobs recently, meaning he's lost a lot of singles matches. He's put people over, but this feels like the match where, yeah, Solo is protected. And I think he's only taken two or three singles losses in WWE. And you may be thinking, well, if Cena's going to lose to Austin Theory, why wouldn't he lose to Solo Sokoa, who's built far stronger than Theory? That is true. But Cena actually does need a significant win just so that when he returns in the future, and if this continues, I mean, he may very well be going right back to acting after this, but maybe he also continues with WWE because apparently those talks are not yet fully settled yet. You need to like establish him as someone who can still win things. And I think when you're doing this type of match, and by the way, when you're doing a Blood Money in the Sand show and you're trying to please 
that crowd, you want the big baby face moments. You want the Cody Rhodes win. You want the John Cena win. So I do think that is what they're gonna get here. And also let's not forget the story that they're telling is the fact that he hasn't won a singles match in 2000 days. He's concerned that he's gonna let down the audience. It's a must win for him. Heyman saying, if you lose, you're not gonna be able to speak, which is how you make your money. I mean, all of that plays into Cena winning. So I think that has to be the prediction for this match. John Cena over Solo Sokoa. Let's move to the WWE Women's Championship, Io Sky against Bianca Belair. You may be saying, Silver King, where did that come from? I'm about to tell you. Uh, Belair came out late on SmackDown Friday. She was back wearing her bodysuit with the same graphics package, the sparkling red lips. So the praise I gave her for her look last week, that's on hold at least until we see what her look is like for Crown Jewel. Belair said that she spent the last two months stewing over damage control attacking her backstage. Belair said she usually brushes stuff off and smiles through it, but she couldn't let this go. It consumed her with vengeance. And then she just announced that Nick Aldis gave her a title match at Crown Jewel and then a match against Bailey next week as well. So there it is, just as I feared last week, but actually worse because she was literally just given the match without any issue. The only difference between the Charlotte Flair booking and the Bianca Belair booking is longevity. Like granted, Bianca does have a legitimate gripe and she does have a reason to deserve a title match, but to have her return last week and just get the match this week without us even seeing her speak with Aldis or confront Io, I was immensely frustrated. On top of that, Bailey has to take another L to build Belair rather than just be involved with her own story. A much better booking would have been Belair and Flair against Damage Control on Crown Jewel to stretch it out, and then you do the women's singles match next month or later this month at Survivor Series. Now look, that's a lot of criticism. So let me finish with something positive. Belair was excellent in her promo. She showed a far more serious character and a more focused mindset than we've probably ever seen from her before. Way less happy-go-lucky. It's just her gear didn't match the attitude since it was so bright and flashy. Again, I liked the all gold look last week a lot more. If she's gonna be a serious character, doing the full bodysuit, the lightly colored one with the lips and all that, you gotta just move away a little bit from that. So mostly criticisms, but I did have a positive at the end there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I remain just kind of, haven't just, I haven't fully connected with this story and everything still. Um, I know you've had a lot of intense thoughts on it, so I kind of de- defer to you mm-hmm. on much of it. I, I thought this was, um, I thought this was okay. Given the extremely quick build, my hope, and maybe even my expectation, is that EO retains Saturday. Bailey probably gets involved somehow. They get into a multi-woman match at Survivor Series, and maybe Belair ultimately takes the title in December for WrestleMania season, because EO is not taking this title into WrestleMania. We need to realize she's going to lose it. And there's only so many women right now on SmackDown who could legitimately beat her for it. It's Bianca, it's Charlotte, and it's Bailey. I mean, I think that's it. I'd have to go over the roster again, but that roster is much thinner than the Raw roster comparatively. It would be immensely short-sighted for WWE to change this title two weeks after Bianca made her return. And it still feels like EO needs to get built with more legit and successful title defenses before she loses it. So I'm gonna go with an EO Sky title retention and a win in this match. I do think Bianca's eventually gonna take it. I just don't think it's gonna be 
Saturday. Yeah, it feels too quick. It feels too quick to have Bianca immediately return to win the title back. Like, I, I feel like there's more story to be told. The pick for me is Bianca as well, perhaps with interference. Um, again, as we've seen, I, I'd kind of rather not, but we'll see. Next, we have the Women's World Championship, Rhea Ripley defending against Raquel Rodriguez, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Zoe Stark in a fatal five-way match. Now, besides Ripley's promo to open Raw, all five women got solid promo highlight packages throughout. Baszler actually had the best of the bunch, but none of them were particularly notable. Again, Raw was short-staffed because a lot of superstars weren't there. They were over in Europe still, which explained why all of these were pre-taped. And therefore, we don't really have much more breakdown to give ahead of the match. The one thing I will say is I just wish this was an elimination match or like a championship scramble instead of just a fatal five-way. Like it's gonna be chaotic. Look, there is going to be a lot of beef out there for this match. There's a lot of beef out here. Because big meaty women are gonna be slapping meat. <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want. And I'm excited to see the beef flying in the ring. <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beef's gonna be flying tonight, gentlemen. It just feels like if they added that one additional stipulation element, you're taking something that could be a very good match and possibly making it a great match. So with that said, Rhea Ripley is going to retain the Women's World Championship. It would make negative sense to take it off of her. In terms of who takes the fall, I have to believe it's Shayna Baszler or Zoe Stark. I'm a little bit frustrated that Stark hasn't gotten more to chew on coming out of laying out um, Trish Stratus at the end of the Hell in a Cell match with Becky Lynch. Like that was a pretty big moment for her. And it seemed like they were going to put her in a tag team with Shayna Baszler, but that was short-lived, I guess. And then you had Nia Jax's return kind of mucking everything up. So yeah, Ripley wins. Pinning Rodriguez makes no sense. Pinning Jax makes no sense over Baszler or Stark. And then you have a Jax feud, a Rodriguez feud, possibly a triple threat that you can do as the year kind of continues and we get into 2024. Yeah, R Rhea Ripley is winning this match, um, which which I am excited for. I, I think Fatal Five-Way is fine. I have really no issues with it. Uh, is Championship Scramble, is that the one where like you win, you get a pin and you're the champion and then someone else is the champion and it kind of plays out? Is that is that what it is? You're basically like the interim champion and you can have 10 yeah. or 15 interim champions in the match, but whoever... Yeah. gets the last pinfall and has, is the interim champion once the final bell rings, that is the actual champion. So there, none, none yeah. of the reigns count. None of the reigns count. It's just the way the match goes. Yeah. Right. It just, there, there was, there was one, uh, there, there's a photo. It's like Brian Kendrick in like current champion in the middle of a scramble match from like a decade plus. Ago right. I see all the time. That's, that's right. what I, that's what I always think about with that one. But no, um, it, the only thing I'd say else about this is that, Everything like post SummerSlam with Shayna and Zoe Stark has been so weird because Shayna gets the big win over Ronda. She's supposed to be the new baddest woman. Zoe Stark, a week or so later, the Tristratus feud ends and Zoe Stark kind of has her moment. And you're like, all right, these two are moving on up. And, and they had their interaction briefly and then they've just kind of done nothing ever since. And it's been very disappointing. And it, it felt like it got superseded by let's just throw everybody into a big match and Nia Jax is back as well. So I'm very curious on kind of the planning of all that because they gave these two big moments and then they kind of fell by the wayside as we get into this. But I, I am excited for this. 
one or two, you know, power slams of Nia Jax will be a fun highlight. Mm-hmm. And Rhea Ripley wins in the end. Now we have two matches left and we have plenty to discuss with both of them before we give our picks and predictions. First, the World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins against Drew McIntyre. So Ripley opened Raw saying Rollins and McIntyre had a decision to make which of them wanted Judgment Day's help. Late in the show, McIntyre got an extended promo package at the WWE Performance Center, recapping his career and reminding that the highlight of his career, winning the WWE title, came at a time nobody wants to remember, the COVID-19 pandemic. He talked about doing the job leading WWE as champion and putting his body on the line only to have the moment pass when the pandemic ended. And then he got screwed out of his redemption during Clash at the Castle. McIntyre said he'd break Rollins back and ensure there's no more broken dreams for him. This was freaking fantastic. I'm not even sure what else to say. Like, seriously, it hit every point. They nailed the visuals, both of him speaking and the highlights that they chose. You could not have asked for a better prelude into the match. Probably the single best promo package we have seen in a long, long time. And I tweeted it at Getting Overcast. For anyone who might have missed it, just check our feed. It's one of the first tweets. It's there. It, it, it was phenomenal. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. It, it was everything. I, I wrote so many notes down for this segment. This is, I, I know I said the um, the Piper Niven costume was the best thing of the weekend. It, it was this. There are so many good lines in this that I wrote down. One of them, WWE carried on, but I was all alone. Uh, when everyone returned, my moment had passed. And it was just like, damn, like they told the story we've been wanting them to tell for a while. And like he makes all these totally fair points and you you feel bad for him. This is the character he's been doing. They also didn't show and I'm glad they didn't. It reminded when we talked about Clash of the Castle. I just was reminded. Oh, yeah. Remember that show went off the air with him and Tyson Fury singing to the crowd like. <laughs> You know, we didn't we don't want that to happen on the broadcast for a reason. And they've kind of X that out of our memory, uh, rightfully so. Um, so this was so good. Uh, and it was it, like just like the, the Finn Balor stuff going into SummerSlam. It's like this is a great story. This is someone who is kind of the heel, but we are rooting for them probably to win the championship. So, yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. Uh, Rollins later cut a boohoo promo saying People had it much worse than McIntyre during the pandemic. Some people got laid off. They didn't know how to get groceries. They even lost family members. All that happened to Drew was his title reign didn't go as he dreamed it would. Rollins said McIntyre should get in line behind all the people victimized by the bloodline, including Zayn, Rose, others. He said he'd be the first one to shake Drew's hand if he beats him, but he's no longer the Messiah. He's not the architect. And just then, as he was continuing, he got attacked from behind by McDonough. But before we get to that match, just like I said about McIntyre's taped promo, this was a pitch-perfect live promo from Rollins. It was the most serious and convicted that he has sounded in a while, and that includes the Nakamura feud. It was the proper response to McIntyre's promo, both because they were basically acting as tweeners. Each had points that you liked, each had points that you didn't necessarily like. But there's no doubt those sides will clarify with Rollins, the babyface, and McIntyre, the heel side, in the match at Crown Jewel. Uh, this was excellent, Chris. I, again, don't really have any notes for Rollins. What I appreciated was, how long have we talked about, like, let's get serious Seth Rollins back? Like, the Messiah is gone, the architect is gone, Frickin' this character, however you want to refer to it. If elements 
exist in the Rollins character, cool. But the whole flashiness and the laughing and the singing, being the character, that has to go by the wayside. And this was the first time where I really felt, you know what? It might actually be, be happening. So Seth Rollins' promo response was perfect as well because like he was right, <laughs> you know? He's like, some people didn't get to see their loved ones again. And like, we've never heard, by the way, we've never heard WWE talk about the pandemic like this. Like that, you I know, know, like reality of people was, dying. Like it's crazy, yeah. yeah. Whether, it was, whether it was during the Thunderdome, when they came back for WrestleMania, all these things, they never like talked about it in those terms. So that brought that brought the seriousness of this all up a lot more. And Seth is right. Like, you know, Drew was right. You have reason to feel bad for Drew. And Seth is right. And that, hey, there were bigger problems than just your championship. <laughs> right. And so great promo. The serious Seth we, we've talked about. This is exactly the kind of Seth Rollins you want to see. And I come out as thinking like, it does feel like it should be Drew McIntyre's time. However, <laughs> yeah. is that time going to come in Saudi Arabia? Exactly. You know, he didn't he didn't get the moment in front of the WrestleMania crowd, the American mostly audience. It almost doesn't feel like if he does get the, the big moment, but it's in front of not, no disrespect to the Saudi Arabian people, but it's like it's not the same thing. And. So I, I I don't know. And the fact that this storyline has been bogged, has been like secondary on Raw the entire time. Mm -hmm. It is secondary to everything going on with Judgment Day. It never opens up the show. It never, it almost never closes the show, despite it being the best thing going in WWE right now. So for all of those reasons, as much as I think they've built up Drew to win this and the story's great and I think he should win it, I don't think I don't think he's gonna win here. I think Seth is going to win here. Um in, in the end. Well, you're two whole segments before time to make a pick and prediction, but at least yours is out of the way because there's a lot more to talk about still from Raw uh okay. that, that happened here, but I'm glad you got your prediction. Uh so we had Rollins and McDonough in a match. This was heavily promoted as Seth's first singles match on Raw in four months which I checked, that is accurate. JD sold his ass off throughout, but he countered two pedigrees and caught Rollins with a standing Spanish fly. Rollins came back, rolling McDonough upwards into the buckle bomb. He went to the top rope when Priest distracted by walking out with the Money in the Bank briefcase and a referee. Rollins caught JD with an avalanche backdrop and then flipped McDonough backwards into a pedigree before hitting the stomp for the win. And then he jumped outside, stared down Priest face to face. Priest said the cash-in was inevitable and it got hot between them. This was a tremendous TV match and a perfect capper to the build with Priest coming in as like a third party. He can factor into the match. Maybe he's not going to. But now you remember Rollins is fighting a war on two different fronts. If memory serves, this was McDonough's best in-ring work yet on the main roster. And he's a really good wrestler. So that is saying something. It was easily Rollins' best match on Raw in a couple months. And I don't mean singles because like we said, he hasn't had one, but at all. I just thought he was fantastic here. 3.75 stars and a B plus. Now, I'll just keep talking here because you already gave away your pick. Uh, I don't think in WWE, it makes a lot of sense to tease a cash-in before it's going to happen. So I do not have Priest walking out with the title from Crown Jewel. I do think him feigning a cash-in could impact the match finish. The question is whether this report that came out this week of McIntyre's contract expiring in five months with him not yet having re-signed is a legitimate like, item 
or whether they maybe leaked that or sent that out because they didn't want anyone to know that he might go ahead and win the title, given that is something that has been in the news plenty as of late. I truly do believe Rollins needs to drop the World Heavyweight Championship sooner than later. Balor was the best option. McIntyre is just as good, but with less time being spent on the storyline compared to the Balor match. But Drew does have a really strong storyline. Don't get it twisted. If McIntyre does win the title, doing it at a stadium show would be great, even if it is in Saudi Arabia. I think it's more likely, though, if they're going to have McIntyre go over, he wins it in a second opportunity, such as later this month at Survivor Series. So I'm also going to go with Rollins retaining here. But as has been the case for the last few opponents that Seth has faced, I could totally see it going the other way and would be 100% fine if Rollins drops it and the heel wins it. I don't agree with many people who say Rollins sucks with the title, he has to drop it, he's doing a bad job. I don't think that's true at all. But is it getting a little bit tiresome? And would it be better for Raw and the product as a whole if there was a heel champion, whether that be Balor or previously Nakamura or now McIntyre? I do think so. McIntyre being champion, I discussed this last week, and Sami Zayn getting into a feud with him and possibly beating him at WrestleMania for the title, that would be incredible. In order for that to happen, McIntyre needs to win the title. I don't think it's happening here, like I said. I think it's more likely, if it's going to happen at all, to be either Survivor Series or before the end of 2024. So therefore, my prediction is Rollins. But I just said a lot. Any follow-up that you have there, Chris? No, I mean, I agree on all those points. I think they will tease a cash, and I don't think it will happen. Um, Because the money in the bank part is weird, because if you have McIntyre Priest, you kind of got two heels going on. How does that work? Um, So, yeah, I I, I want McIntyre to win. I think they've built it up really well for him to win. I just think the circumstances are going to result in him not winning. As far as the contract stuff you mentioned, I don't know. I mean, they kind of brushed that aside a few weeks back, you know, that they seem to drew and triple H and, and some of them. So at the press conference. So, um, yeah, uh, I hope it's McIntyre. I'd love to be surprised. Um, I just, I, I don't think it happens. All right, let's move to the undisputed WWE universal championship. Roman reigns defending against L a Knight. Reigns opened SmackDown, but just as he reached the end of the stage during his entrance, he went to raise his title and Knight's music interrupted, putting a total look of shock and disrespect on his face and Paul Heyman's face. Not only that, Knight didn't even look in their direction. He stormed past them, went into the ring. The way they sold this was perfect. Then Knight literally sat at the head of the table with Heyman trying to pull the table away from him. The crowd was fully in the palm of his hand as LA signed the contract immediately. Reigns called him an idiot and railed on his inexperience with contract signings and title matches. Roman said he'd make his first time real nice, which sounded like a line straight out of succession. Fans chanted Roman scared. Knight stopped Reigns from leaving, saying he's the head of the table and he wanted to acknowledge him, which immediately pissed Roman off. Knight then put himself over for getting into the main event after just one year, saying Reigns failed over and over again, doing suffering succotash shit. Knight paused, but when he resumed, Reigns lost his shit. He dumped the table vertically onto him and kicked his ass. I mean, 
He hit him with the head of the table, literally. It was amazing. Knight turned it around and stomped a mud hole in his Tims, just like Stone Cold, until Jimmy Uso ran in saving Roman. He told him, take care of it, except Knight was right behind him and put him through the table to end the segment. I cannot remember when someone went over on Roman to such a degree in a confrontation like this, from the entrance to ignoring Reigns to sitting at the head of the table, calling himself tribal chief, bringing up suffering succotash. It was like a visual and verbal assault on Reigns. The amount of poking the bear that was done here was perfect. Most importantly though, it added some much needed oomph to the storyline. It was a strong main event booking from the jump, but given we know Reigns is retaining, there needed to be some more build than super over megastar against long reigning champion. We got that here. This was a tremendous opening on SmackDown, and it would have made for a great go-home segment had it been done this coming Friday. More on that in a bit. But my biggest takeaway was how much Reigns gave tonight here. You need to be immensely and completely confident in yourself as a performer to do a segment like this, the way Reigns did it. And that is the level at which Roman is operating right now. Massively impressive. Buddy, they are putting LA Knight in the biggest of spotlights to see what he can do. And he is nailing it Mm -hmm. every single time. This was so true to his character. You know, like this is what he would do. And we've never seen anybody outside of maybe Drew McIntyre and, and Brock be not fearful of Roman at all like there is zero fear in la night part of that's because hey there's no real bloodline around anymore he's just mostly by himself uh it kind of makes sense but i couldn't believe that they did this i was like like we every week we say i can't believe how much they're pushing la night and every week it gets bigger and bigger to interrupt not only interrupt roman's entrance but to be so dismissive of him we've not seen anybody do that And, and and that's what made this so impactful and L.I. Knight was great in his promo, said everything he needed to say, and good beatdown and everything. Like, just, they freaking nailed this, man. Like, sometimes L.I. Knight will, like, stumble over a couple of words and whatnot, but mm-hmm. he, this was so great. And I loved when he's, and when he's talking about, he's something like all lines of lines of, like, after the match, when people know whose game this is, not yet. And he, like, tells the crowd not to say his name there. Like, just has everybody in the palm of his hands. And yeah, they're putting him over so incredibly huge, which is really, really fun and kind of surreal to see. The last three weeks for LA Knight, it's been one home run after another. And you mentioned like the whole, like sometimes he stumbles. The last three weeks, he has not. That's how tuned and dialed in he is right now. And you also mentioned the not yet moment where he held up his hand and the crowd went silent. No one said a word. Having that type of control over the audience, there is a finite number of people who have been able to do that historically. The Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, maybe to a degree MJF these days, but not everyone. Shawn Michaels didn't have that. Bret Hart didn't have that. Triple H didn't have that. LA Knight has that right now. It was a crazy moment where he did that because you think the whole crowd, they're so excited to say the catchphrase. They're just going to say it naturally. The fact that they didn't, no one said it was wild watching that live. Uh, Later in the show, Heyman uh, showed Reigns the ugly WWE Green Bay Packers title belt. I promise you they're not winning that this year. 
He told Reigns that he'd give it tonight as a gift, given it's the closest he or the pack will come to being champions. Uh, Jimmy then threw himself on the couch, injured from earlier. Roman said he needed Jimmy to handle the issue, but Jimmy's like, dude, I'm on the IR, I'm out. Then Reigns gave him like a look and he said, I'm off the IR, I'm ready to go. Just a really fun, like joke serious segment to set up the main event. And we said this last week, I'm gonna repeat it again, Chris. Jimmy's character, and it's like smarminess right now, it's shining. And a guy who we said was the most boring person in the entire bloodline, who had no character, we didn't understand what was happening with him. It now makes crystal clear sense what his character is and what his storyline is. And every week, especially the character acting of Jimmy, it gets better. Completely. He's like the, the mooching friend, you know? Right. And he's doing a great job with it. It's very fun. So we had Knight against Jimmy in the main event of SmackDown. Before the match, LA backstage cut a second promo saying he'd ride Jimmy around by his pigtails. Short, sweet, to the point. Jimmy was hysterically complaining to the referee that Knight was cheating and all he was in was a simple arm bar. Fans also chanted, Jay is better. Jimmy hit a tsunami style Uso splash late for a perfect 2.9 false finish. Knight came back with a box jump superplex, the BFT, and he got the win to a massive pop. His mouth also got busted open late. Knight then dodged a rain spear attack while celebrating, catching him with BFT, and then talking trash to him for a good 30 seconds before the show ended. This actually exceeded my expectations, the match, by a significant margin. They shockingly fit extremely well together in the ring. Jimmy has not been impressive wrestling as a single recently, and LA Knight generally is not that impressive in the ring. But they went, like both of them at the same time, it clicked, 3.75 stars B+. And then we got the post-match, which combined with the opening segment, made this feel like a PLE go-home show. Next week is taped, and I know spoilers are out there. I have no idea what they did. I don't know what they're going to do, what they're going to show us on TV. I don't know how next week, this coming Friday, can be better of a build to Crown Jewel than this Friday was because I thought they absolutely knocked all of this out of the park on SmackDown. Especially because of the ways and number of times that LA Knight got over uh, on Roman. Like you just, you don't see that very often. That's typically your go home, you know, your, your, your face gets it. The heel ones at the show. I know we say it all the time, but mm -hmm. you're right. Everything we got last Friday felt like the perfect go home moment. So like you, I, I don't know what's coming this week, but um, yeah, it'd be tough to top. And a reminder, we will have free instant reaction audio through our buymeacoffee.com slash getting over page of, you know, be sure to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. We will tweet out that link, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling as soon as SmackDown goes off the air on Friday. Chris, with that out of the way, it is time to give our prediction for this match. And we're both picking Roman Reigns. Uh, I don't know what else needs to be said. Like, it would be great, you know, for LA Knight to become WWE champion at some point. This is not the moment. There's not enough build. Uh, while he is super over and while he is the megastar, there are about six people that have a better storyline uh, to winning the undisputed WWE Universal Championship than he does. Therefore, I have Roman retaining. I do think there's gonna be some type of interference in the finish, but what I hope is that it's not a purely interference-driven finish. There should really be no shame in Roman Reigns beating anyone one, two, three in the ring, and I would like to see Knight take that fall because he's so good on the mic he can easily rebound coming out of it. He should be protected to some degree. He just does not need to be protected 
all the way around, such as what happened to Drew McIntyre at Clash at the Castle. The one thing we need here is the moment you think LA Knight might win. The split second on the 2.99 after a finisher, that's it. That's all you have to have. Drew McIntyre had that at Clash at the Castle. Cody Rhodes had that. Jey Uso right. did not have that at SummerSlam, and that was a big issue with that match. Just give just give us a segment where you think for it, where you got, where you caught yourself, and you were like, whoa, actually, for a second there, I thought LA Knight was about to win. You can interfere, you cannot interfere, whatever. The most important thing is just making it feel like LA Knight got close. That's what you need. Exactly. All right, that is our breakdown of every single match on the WWE Crown Jewel card. So Chris, let's go ahead and move to our section of the show where we give our pre-show expectation grades. Basically, we give a letter grade for the show, for anyone who's a first-time listener, of what we think our opinion is going to be at the end of the show. And then Saturday, when we do our WWE Crown Jewel Instant Analysis Podcast, we will give you our official and final grade for this premium live event. As always, Chris, when we do the grades, you get the opportunity to go first. So what is your pre-show expectation grade for WWE Crown Jewel? My pre-show expectation is an A. Wow. I'm honestly going with an A here because we've got two singles matches that I think will be really good. I think LA Knight Roman, I think Drew McIntyre, Seth will be really good. I think John Cena versus Sol Sokoa will be a lot of fun. I think the five-way women's match will be a lot of fun. There's there's nothing. Logan Paul will be fun. There's nothing on this show I'm like not interested in other than like Sammy, JD, Madonna. But no, that's but that's that's a good that's Eos- a good kickoff show match. It's going to be a high-quality work rate match. Yeah. Yeah. Like the one I'm probably least interested in is Bianca Belair versus EO Sky, but that's going to be a banger. Like every almost every match on this card feels like it's going to mean something and it's going to be good. And we've picked one title change with the US title. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what could happen with, with Money in the Bank. But like, yeah, I, I, I got to go with an A for... 2023 blood money in the sand. See, and here I thought I was going to be shocking everyone with an A minus pre-show expectation grade because that's where I am. I'm at an A minus uh, better than most. The card coming in is extremely strong. I still do recognize though that it is a blood money in the sand show number one and number two, it's at a time of the year where they can make some changes, but generally they save them a little bit longer. Like for Survivor Series, the month of December, early January, that's generally when they do it. So I don't know that the match bookings are going to be the to the degree where it reaches A level, but I'll tell you, I don't think you have given a pre-show expectation grade, and I don't remember what mine was, but I don't think you've given an A in this type of segment since WrestleMania 39. And I believe that you gave it at that time because you were yeah. going. And you're like, so therefore my expectations are crazy high, I'm giving it an A, I don't, well, the, the, I don't remember 30, if that I, was 38. I went to 30, 38, oh, 38. I went to, 38. but I'm pretty sure I gave, I'm pretty sure I gave the rumble and WrestleMania this year an A. I think I gave both. I think the rumble we may I have given an A. I, I say this all the time when we do this segment, like the match grades that we give out, it's really tough to, you know, get all those and put them together. I truly do wish that we had like some type of database of all of our pre-show grades and our post-show grades for all of the instant analysis podcasts that we've done. It would be really interesting to see what our grades were, how close we came. It feels like 
we're generally pr- pretty close. Um, but also how many times we've said B plus, which I feel like we say B plus like 85% of the time going into shows. Uh, so for both of us to be higher than that, you're at an A, I'm at an A minus. That really does speak to how strong this card is. And I'm just going to go through it one more time really quick. Roman Reigns, LA Knight, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Rhea Ripley against Raquel Rodriguez, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Zoe Stark, Io Sky against Bianca Belair, John Cena, Solo Sokoa, Rey Mysterio, Logan Paul, Cody Rhodes, Damian Priest, Sami Zayn, JD McDonough. There's really not letting up here. I mean, and, and even in terms of people who aren't on the show, I'm sure there's others that I'm missing, like if I was to think about it, but it's like Shinsuke Nakamura, Jay Uso, Jimmy Uso, they're probably both going to be there. Uh, the Usos, I mean. Kevin and, Owens and, Kevin Owens and Finn Balor, maybe. Yeah, but. yeah, Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. Balor is most likely going to be there anyway. Becky Lynch, I think, is probably the one person where I'm like, wow, it's pretty crazy, yeah. Becky Lynch. Oh, and Charlotte Flair. Those two, Becky and Charlotte. It's like, I'm pretty surprised they're not on the show. But like Gunther, for some reason, even though he's the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, he's not usually on premium live events. They That's a TV title uh, more often than not. So even the names that aren't on the show, it's like, okay, yeah, some of them should be there. I think half of them will be. And the other half, it's just like, that's kind of a little strange, but the show isn't lacking from their absence. And that's when you know you have a really strong card. So you're at an A, I'm at an A minus. A reminder that all of you listening right now, you can give your pre and post show grades for WWE Crown Jewel by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will do the pre-show poll an hour before it begins, and we will do the post-show poll as soon as Crown Jewel goes off the air Saturday early evening here on the East Coast in the United States. So that wraps up our WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview, which leaves us with only one final segment. It is the last word. So DJ, take the need to win, just drop it on the record. We gon' have a speed, poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, this has been a long show, so we'll make this as quick as possible. Racine at last, at Racine at last, wrote in, if you could bring something back to wrestling, for example, the right way to do the triple threat tag team matches, what would it be? He would like street clothes for street fights and four or more wrestlers in matches being elimination matches. So my answer is probably more general, and it is unique match types. So elimination matches, they fall under that. Three stages of hell, championship scramble, the underground match that they recently did in NXT, location-based matches like the pub brawl they did, I think it was for Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, two out of three falls. You can definitely overdo stipulations, but WWE right now, they don't do them a lot. And when they do, they're repeating many of the same. For example, last man standing. And some of these unique matches that I'm mentioning could really be interesting with Triple H holding the book. A more specific direct answer to the question would be Titantron highlight packages instead of just the big logos and names on different colored backgrounds. You could even play the highlight packages in the corner of the screen while the person is entering. So the arena can see it and you can see it from home. So that's the short answer is the Titantron highlight packages and the longer answer would be unique match types. I have two and it was hard to decide between between the two, but... I think number one would be the hardcore title, AKA the 24 seven title, but have it be done the right way, in a very fun <laughs> way. Yeah. Done in a right way. The way the hardcore title used to be the way, the way the, that iron metal weight 
whatever Japanese belt was, which was like inanimate objects were winning it or celebrities well, or writers that's or kind of all ridiculous. kinds of stuff. There, there, there's so many things you could do with that. Like when I think back to like Attitude Era, what, what are the things I loved watching back then? One of them was, was that kind of stuff. It was really like, you never knew what was going to happen. It was really creative, got a lot of people involved. I would love to see a, a real hardcore 24-7 title be brought back. We've said it before. It, the, the, the 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 boundaries are limitless mm -hmm. in today's age you could do so many things with it which is why the 24 7 title was so frustrating because they only turned into into a surprise roll-up belt when you had so many different things creative things you could do the other one i thought about was blood in wwe matches mm. more frequently like sometimes brock lesnar will get broken open the hard way and stuff like that but wwe really tries not to do those and I, I think it really adds to a match. Now, we do have this in wrestling. We have it way too much in AEW. <laughs> That's the complete opposite of, of, of what you want. Mox is bleeding every single time he's out there. You don't want that. But I feel like in big matches, I would love to have um, just some blood in, in the biggest moments, um, in, in the biggest matches. I think they really add to the feeling, the stakes, the intensity. It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to be hard way. Do a do a, a capsule. I don't care. That's fine. I, I'm totally fine. I mm -hmm. I don't like blading, um, but I just it's something I do wish in the biggest moments WWE had a little bit more of. It would have made great sense, for example, in the Rollins Nakamura match. I think they used the red mist instead um, to kind of give you that look. But if they had done blood in that match, it would have made all the sense in the world, right? Uh, it was uh, false count anywhere. And it just, it worked. Oh no, Last Man Standing. I, I wish it was False Count anywhere. It was Last Man Standing. But mm -hmm. matches like that, you're right. If if we took 15% of the blood used in AEW and gave it to WWE, both brands would be much better off. That's really the best way to put it. And the other thing that you said, the hardcore 24-7 title, um, for those of you who are longtime listeners, back on the original podcast I was on, In This Corner, I came up with the 24-7 championship idea years before WWE actually made it a reality. And anyone who remembers um, the way I spoke about it back then and what Chris just said right now, it's basically parallel. There's so many things you can do in the social media era. WWE could just post randomly on YouTube and on Twitter at four o'clock on a Wednesday. Here's what just happened before a WWE house show in South Carolina, right? And all of a sudden someone attacks backstage. They have a referee. They have a four and a half minute match backstage, throwing stuff at each other. There's a pinfall, someone wins the title. Boom, big moment, social media reacts, find out more Monday night on Raw. Like there's so many different things that they could do with a title like that. With Triple H having the book and you know being the lead of creative right now, I would trust him immensely with it. The problem is the first thing he did, one of the first things he did, if you remember when he got the book over a year ago, was they dropped that title in the trash. But what was, what was apropos about it, is it actually missed the trash. So it fell outside. I think it was like Nikki Cross who did it. I don't remember who, who it was, who was the champion at the time. Um, but I loved that. And I thought it was hysterical that it didn't make the trash. And I think it's too close. Like the, the memory of the terrible 24-7 title is too close to bring it back now. But five years from now or three years from now, if they were to bring it back, I think there would be a palette for it as long as it was, as it was handled the way that you discussed and that the way I used to talk about all those many years ago. So that was a great shout right there. And Racine at last, thank you for your submission. We do have three more last word questions in reserve. So 
don't necessarily need any more right now, but if you have a question that you would like answered here on the show, you can email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com or again, follow us on Twitter at gettingovercast, which again is where you will have a chance to vote in the pre and post show polls this week. You will also get episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Just follow us on Twitter at gettingovercast. Also on the way out here, allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please go ahead and leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read that right here on the show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling bonus audio approximately four nights a week, news posts, and so much more. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Thursday with our NXT and AEW show. And then once again, Saturday early evening, as soon as WWE Crown Jewel goes off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast for you. So if you're a first-time listener, do not forget to hit that subscribe button. Thank you to Vintage Chris Manini for joining today. As always, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.